Well, hey, good morning, church. Good to see you today, and welcome. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you. My name is John, and yeah, you can clap for somebody who came to church today for the first time. Uh, if you're new with us, I, I really am glad you joined us today. This is the second week of a series, and man, I don't know about you, but I learned something new. All this time, I just thought that keep calm and carry on, and keep calm and keep shopping, and keep calm and drink your coffee was like, it was just an internet meme, you know? And now I know. It's from Sir Winston Churchill. Thank you, Stuart. Appreciate it. That's awesome. You need a British guy, apparently, to learn some things. So uh, this is week two of All for the One. I want you to just use your imagination for a second today. And I want you to imagine for a minute, um, imagine that, that you're a young couple and a newlywed young couple at that. And so for some of you, maybe this is your current reality. You are right now a newlywed young couple. For others of you, it's like it's a memory, right? For others of you, it's a, a distant memory. For others of you, it's kind of like wishful thinking, right? But just use your imagination for a second. Imagine you're a newlywed young married couple, right? And you're enjoying life together. You go out, you watch some, you see some movies, come back to your studio apartment. Everything's awesome, right? It's all great. And, but then you, then you start thinking about having babies. And uh, lo and behold, you, you get pregnant because apparently you do more than just think about having babies, right? So you, you end up you know, realizing, man, studio apartment isn't going to cut it. You, you look for that two-bedroom place and you find this two-bedroom apartment, put the down payment on it and you move in and you get it all ready just in time. You bring the baby home and, and, and there you are, like happy little family in the two-bedroom apartment. And after a couple years, you start thinking about having more babies. And then you're pregnant again because you're still doing more than just thinking about having babies, as it seems. And, and so you, you know, like, okay, two-bedroom, you know, we, we've got to make some room for this, this one that's on the way. So you, 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 you stretch for it. You find this three-bedroom uh, cozy house. We all know what that means. But it's still a step up from the two-bedroom apartment. And you, you move in just in time to, to then bring that, that little one home. And you're there for a couple years. And again, you're doing more than thinking about having babies. And so you got another one on the way. And this time you're going, ah, we need to, we need to see if we can stretch for it. And, and, and maybe, maybe our, our grandparents can help us with a down payment. And maybe we can buy a house of our own this time. And, and you do this because you are expanding your family. And you're on this journey where you're, you're stretching to create this space because you had a vision. And your vision was... We, we want to have kids, and we want to have a place for those kids when we have them. If there's a way, we want to do that. And because you had that in your heart, you did some things that, that made it possible for the, you to have that space for those little ones. And here we are, as a church family, in a moment kind of like that, where we recognize that we have a vision, and it's to see this church family grow. And because we have that vision, we recognize that there's a need to do something about having the space where we can welcome those new ones. And so that's kind of at the heart of what All for the One is about. And I'm going to ask you today to, in just a moment, turn to, to Luke, or sorry, Acts chapter 2. But before we go there, I want to just remind you of really what we're talking about in All for the One. What we're talking about is lining our own hearts up with the vision that Jesus had. And, and we kind of sang about it in the song we were just singing where we, we sang, you know, that he leaves the ninety-nine. And, and we know that that, that that line in that song, it comes from the Bible, from Luke chapter 15. And it's this section where Jesus is very clearly saying, listen, you need to know what I'm about. And, and, and if there was a guy who had a flock of sheep, wouldn't he leave the 99 and go after the one that was lost? And yes, he would. But 
he doesn't just go after the one that's lost. In the story Jesus told in Luke 15, 5, it also says that he would pick up that one sheep that was lost and put it on his shoulders and carry it home. Everyone say home. He carries it home. And, and you know what? Jesus wasn't really just talking about sheep, you know? At the end of this section of scripture, it's really clear. He's talking about people. He's talking about people who need to know his grace and his mercy and his love. And he's talking about people who need him being gathered and included in the home that the church is meant to be. And so I'm asking us, in all for the one, to line our hearts up with Jesus and to really take to heart that his vision was that the one would be rescued and there would be a place for that one among his people, just like there was a place for you when you were that one. I hope that maybe some of us came to church today ready to be challenged and ready to take to heart what God's word says. So I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. And as you're turning to Acts chapter 2, here's the, here's the kind of backdrop. So Acts chapter 2, what has just happened is that Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. And then the believers are gathering together in that upper, upper room. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, what happens is that the Holy Spirit breaks out. And it's this dramatic, mind-blowing kind of moment. Tongues of fire on everybody's head. And this, some, they could only describe it as something like a mighty rushing wind. They didn't even know how else to characterize what was happening in that place. And the power of God was present up close and personal. And I think you and I should probably recognize something. If we just step back for a minute and just look at, at the scriptures and what the picture is from the scriptures about the church, we should recognize that that up-close sense of the power and presence of God is core to everything. So the Spirit of God comes in a powerful way, and then it says that Peter gets up and just begins preaching. And there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of people gathering and, and listening, and, and he's, he's preaching, he's sharing this message, and he's saying, listen, everything that all of our prophets have said throughout the last two and a half thousand years, every promise, every prophecy, it is all pointed to this moment, to Jesus, and as he's preaching, the, the people in that crowd are listening, and they cannot, they cannot resist what they're hearing. And so we're going to jump right into Acts chapter 2 and verse 37 uh, to catch what happened in this moment. And it says this, in Acts 2.37, after Peter was preaching, it says in verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time. By the way, that is every preacher's license verse right there. It says it in the Bible. He preached for a long time. So get, I hope you had your coffee. <laughs> so he was strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 and all. You know, I, I love this section of the Bible because it gives us a, a snapshot of how amazing it is when the church keeps the main thing the main thing. And, and what I see here is, <laughs> is that the main thing is the main thing. And, and I want you to just drill down on it so that we can embrace this together. In verse 38, once again, it says, Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children 
and to those who are in Murrieta. I mean, we qualify, don't we, as far away? I think we do. I want you to just go back and, and, and read this verse right here with me. Just this one. Ready? Say it. Go. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. What is the promise? What is this promise that's being spoken of here? I want us to really embrace that there is a promise that is being spoken of that applies to us. Again, in verse 38, this is the promise. Each of you, repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. Somebody say, that's the promise. <laughs> the promise is that there's forgiveness of our sins through Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit for every one of us. That's the promise. That is the main thing. I want you to drill down on this and, and determine for yourself whether this is or isn't the main thing. But as I read the scripture, I see that that promise is meant to be the priority of the church of Jesus Christ. The promise of the forgiveness of sins through Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise and that's the priority. The promise is the priority. Would you just shout that with me? Say, the promise is the priority. Say it. It is. And we're going to make sure it is, because amazing things happen when the promise is the priority. Amazing things. I mean, people experience God in a powerful way when the main thing is the main thing and the promise is the priority. Amazing things can happen. Like, for example, a police officer could, you know, arrest somebody for breaking the law and then practically just drop them off at church. It could happen. Actually, it kind of did. I want to just share Cynthia's story with you. She's one of our sisters in our church, and this is her testimony. Check it out. I'm Cynthia, and this is my story. So, I was a train wreck. When I was 19, my mom passed away from breast cancer. She was only 39. I remember spending the next 20 years being mad at God. I was dealing with anxiety. To deal with the anxiety, I started drinking, and it, it just was spiraling out of control. Caught up to me. Uh, finally, I was arrested for a DUI. And uh, that day, my life changed. So as we were leaving the hospital and he was driving me to jail, we were driving down Washington and he pointed over to that building and said, that's my church. And it was Centerpoint. And he told me, you know, when you're ready, you should try it out. So um, about six months later, I decided to try it out, brought my daughter with me and uh, we liked it and we started to come uh, maybe once a month and then uh, my daughter started getting really like tapped in decided to get baptized and uh, it was that day i was sitting in the front row in the middle i remember i remember what i was wearing i remember everything about that day and i watched my daughter get baptized and then felt the holy spirit just pull on my shirt tug on my shirt and i knew okay it's my turn. I got baptized. I mean, in the clothes I was wearing, I just, nothing was gonna stop me. I was being obedient and I didn't even know it yet. So that was also ironically the first day that I met the man that would soon be my husband. Brian started coming with me and we've never stopped since. So now, um, Brian and I like have this life together. We look back at, um, you know, where we've come from and it's amazing. And things are still hard. Like there's still things that come up that if it was years ago, I would handle completely different. But now with my faith, my friends,
friends, we have new friends. Um, just a sense of community. Everything that we have gained by being at Centerpoint just is a life changer. And uh, we're a pure example of that. We also serve. Uh, we got involved in Mercy. We've done three outreaches uh, just to be able to see how our ministries here at Centerpoint are touching people's lives, um, less fortunate than us. I was addicted. I was addicted to chaos, anxiety, alcohol, bad choices, and now I'm addicted to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's such a, a great testimony. I, I really appreciate Cynthia and Brian and their bravery to just share that transparently. But you know what else I love? I love that what her story includes is that there was a home that she was able to come home to and experience that kind of transformation. And that home happens because you are an amazing church, because you continue to be the hands and feet, the body of Christ that would say, let's make this place a home. Let's make sure the room is ready for the, the little one that's coming. Like, that's what you do. And I wanna thank you for being that kind of church. And I want us to take to heart, really, the picture that comes through God's word of what this home is supposed to be like. And so I wanna keep reading in Acts chapter two because it gives us a, a strong picture of what this home that we are cultivating and creating together with the power of God in our midst, what it's supposed to be like. So in Acts chapter 2, uh, after the, you know, what we just read about what happened with Peter, then it says this in verse 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had, sold their property and possessions, and shared money with those in need. And they worshipped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I love this because it's a depiction of the origin story of our people, if we're Christians. I mean, if you're a Christian, this is a story of the beginning of your people, like what it was like in the earliest days. And it's an amazing picture. And what I see here is a, an amazing picture of what the church is really meant to be all about. And, and, and I wonder if maybe some of us need to evaluate whether we are moving in that direction or if we settle for something else. Because I think maybe sometimes we settle for something else. We think, I am a Christian. Pretty much what that means is I go to church a couple times a month and try hard to be a good person. It, where's that? Here. <laughs> you know? When I read the Bible, I see something much deeper. I see a, a, a true movement, a spiritual movement that changes the world. And I just want to know if you're with me in wanting to cultivate the kind of home, the kind of church body that would be in sync with what the scripture says. If you are, say, I am. I hoped so, right? But this is what I see. It's a picture here of what it's like when we're living the dream. And, and what I see is it says they were devoted. Everyone say devoted. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. It wasn't this sort of afterthought, lackadaisical sort of religious once in a while going through the motions. They were devoted to it. They said this is prominent in my life. It's a priority in my life. And I love in particular what it says in verse 43. In verse 43, it said that there was a great sense of awe that came. And that 
awe doesn't come because, wow, the band sounded so good and I really liked, you know, the clever message. (laughs) No, the awe comes because the Spirit of God is present. And that happens because there's a group of people who are devoting ourselves to say, we will pray like we mean it. We will take in the Word of God and build our lives on it. We will devote ourselves to this. And, And I love what it says in verse 43. Not only was there a great sense of awe, it says, many miraculous signs were being done. What I see is that this movement we're a part of is meant to be characterized as a supernatural revival movement. There is no verse that says, ah, but those things all ended. We are meant to be continuing to experience that kind of movement of the power and the presence of God. And and so let's step into that reality. Let's experience it to the best of our ability. And I noticed too in verse uh, verse, uh, 27, or sorry, 47, it says that each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Do you know that this movement that we're a part of, from God's perspective, according to what I see in the scriptures, there is meant to be a growing that happens because people are coming to know Jesus. They were added to their number those who were being what? We can, you, it's not a trick question. <laughs> added to the fellowship those who were being saved. Saved. This is an important word for us. And let's never get too sophisticated that that we want to water that down and make less of that and make light of that. People need to know the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. People need to know the hope of heaven and receive the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. And for every one of us that has the hope deep within us, I'm going to be in heaven one day when I die. It's not because you've been so good. It's because God has been so good to send his one and only son on your behalf so that you could be saved for all eternity and know that hope is the anchor of your soul. I'm saved. Say, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved, and I'm not too proud to admit it. I'm actually proud that I can admit it. I will boast in that. That's the scriptural idea. I'll boast in that. I'm saved, and I'm grateful to be saved. You know, this, uh, this section of scripture is de- describing, you know, the early church in Israel. And, and a number of years ago, three years ago, Ann and I had the chance to travel to Israel. That's the only time we've ever been able to do that. But when, when we went to Israel, one of the places I was most eager to go was the village of Capernaum. And, and I, I love Jerusalem, it's amazing, but I really was eager to go to Capernaum because Capernaum is where it all, all really started. In Capernaum, it's right by the Sea of Galilee. It's just a small little town, but that's where Peter lived. And that's where Peter had his house. And in Mark chapter one, what we find out is that that's where Jesus lived when he was in, in the region of Galilee. He lived at Peter's house, right by the Sea of Galilee, in Capernaum. And I want to show you. This is a, a picture of Peter's house. I got to go there. That's Peter's house. Okay, it's the ruins of Peter's house. Some of you are like, that's his house? I wouldn't want to be him. Anyway, it's a nice place back in the day. But uh, I want you to just see it for a second. That is the place where Jesus lived, literally. That's also the place Because it's Peter's house where Peter's mother-in-law lived with him. That's the place where Jesus walked in, right around there somewhere. Oh, back to the other one first. Sorry, not yet, guys. Not yet. Yeah, right around here. That's the place where Jesus walked in and rebuked a fever and healed Peter's mother-in-law. There, in that exact place, in Peter's house. That's where it all began. But, But what happened was, and this is interesting, is that Archaeologists just discovered this place and verified all that I'm sharing with you just 30 or so years ago. 
And as they peeled back all of the layers of earth and other things that got built over it, here's what they discovered. They discovered historically from the archaeological record in the digging that it was a house, Peter's house, by the markings until around the year 45 A.D., right after the resurrection of Jesus. And then they distinctly discovered that the middle section of the house had been cleared out. Now you can move ahead. That middle section had been cleared out, and they raised the roof. They painted the whole, all the walls and ceiling of that area white plaster because it has now become the first church gathering place in Capernaum, in the place that was the house of Peter. And then 300 years later, it was rebuilt by the Byzantines and and then 300 years after that, built again as a, as a larger cathedral in the shape of an octagon. And when we went there, this is what we saw. We saw that over the house of Peter that had been turned into this cathedral, on top of it, they built a new modern cathedral. And so we went into that cathedral there in Capernaum, and they, they built it right over the house of Peter, and they put a glass floor in the middle of that, that cathedral. So you walk up to the altar, and you look down through the window, and you see the house of Peter, where Jesus lived, where, where Jesus and Peter hung out. And you just recognize, man, this whole thing, it all started with a family. It all started with a group of people that knew we're connected together. We got a home together, but it also included a, a sense of, and we got to make room for, for others who need to be a part of this story too. And, and I want you to know that that's the kind of moment we're in as a church where we're going, we want to make room for others. And I want to share with you some of the details. We've been talking about it sort of at the a bird's eye view, uh, you know, I've been telling you we're going to... Now, blow out the back wall and expand this sanctuary. I want to share with you the details of what we're talking about doing so that we can all uh, have that in mind together. And then I'm going to ask our ushers to pass out a, a, a brochure to you that give you some details on this. But first, uh, just check this out. This is what we're actually talking about doing in this project. We believe that our calling to be a church for the one means that we need to keep reaching our community. It also means that we need to increase our capacity so that there is room for the one that God wants us to reach. In most of our weekend services, our worship center space is completely full. That's exciting, but it means there isn't really room right now for the one. It's time for us to address this problem. Our design plan is to make the best use of our Washington Avenue campus by expanding the back of the worship center. The back wall will come out, a new roof line will be expanded, and we'll have room for an additional 460 theater-style seats on stadium seating risers. This will expand our capacity by 65%. Our design plan also includes an intentional overflow space on the Washington Avenue side of the building. This overflow space can accommodate 135 people. It will also be a beautiful chapel for prayer, weddings, and memorials. As we expand, we will also create an improved outdoor venue experience with plenty of shade. Expanding in this way will allow us to maximize our capacity to do our all for the one so that we can welcome many more people into the family of God at Centerpoint Church. Yay. So 
I would, I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and pass this out to you. And there's one for everyone. Please take one. There's plenty. And here's what I'd ask you to do. I'd ask you to take this and, and read through it and uh, pray through it and ask God to speak to you about, well, if this is what we're doing, you know, what is my part in it? Th this is something that we are all doing together. It's all for the one. And what I'm hoping for and praying for is that, that we will all do our part and that there would be 100% participation, that every one of us would say, this is my church, this is what we're doing together, and I'm part of it, to whatever degree that you feel God is leading you to. And so I want to ask you to take this and, and just read through it, pray through it, and, and, and here's what I'm specifically asking you to, to keep in mind. Our vision with All for the One is this. The vision is that we want to see 10,000 people come to know Jesus for the next 10 years in and through our church. I want to just say it again because I want you to have that in your mind too and pray over it. That we want to see 10,000 people come to know Jesus in and through our church over the next 10 years. Thank you. I thought maybe somebody would say that's a vision worth shouting about. Like this is something I think God would, would be so honored through. That, that we would be a group of believers that would say, God, use us to accomplish that. Like you've done uh, in, in so many places, in so many ways, that there would be many who would be brought into your family because we're doing our part. So here's what it looks like. Over the next 24 months, this is a two-year uh, journey that we're on together. And, and for the next 24 months, I'm asking you to make all for the one at Centerpoint the priority destination for your giving. Because a vision like this takes provision from God's people. So I want to ask you to uh, take your own next step in generosity so that that can happen. So let me just uh, to break down the, the numbers with you so that you understand what we're really talking about. The expansion that we are uh, talking about doing is a project. It isn't the vision. The vision is reaching the ones that God wants us to reach. And to, to do so requires a project that helps make the room for that vision to happen. That project will probably cost around $3 million, just under that. And uh, that is uh, going to allow us to have a 65% increase in our capacity. It's a good value proposition. And uh, it's, it's something that we do in the context of what we're already doing. So with All for the One, we are doing this a little differently than we've done in the past. In the past, if you've been with me for any amount of time, you would recall that in the past we've said, hey, keep tithing over here, but then also give separately to the building fund. This time, uh, we're bringing it all together. And with All for the One, it's one fund. And that way, we're not doing kind of a separate offering for this and a separate offering for that. It's just one commitment that we're each making. And so what I'm asking you to do is to pray about what your commitment would be so that you can be a part of All for the One. Here's what will happen. In two weeks, on November 3rd and 4th, we're going to have a commitment weekend. And that's the weekend where we will all come forward with a, a commitment, uh, the commitment card that's actually in the brochure, and we'll express, here's what God is leading me to do, to give, so that this can all take place. So again, with All for the One, it's, it's one fund. So uh, it, the expansion is part of that, but our regular budget is part of that. So our regular budget is about $3.5 million a year, and times two years, and then add on top of that the roughly $3 million to do this project, and we have a, a grand total of $9.9 .9 million that we are believing God for. And, and I want you to just consider it this way. Two-thirds of that is our regular budget. That is, in a sense, what we all are already giving. 
And so I, I, otherwise, if you, if you only heard $9.9 million, you'd think, well, that's astronomical. Why does this one little thing cost so much? It's not that. We have our, our regular budget as part of it because we want to just have it be one fund so it's not two separate things. So the implication is that you and I, if we're mature believers who already tithe, I would ask you to continue to do that, but to add into your commitment what you feel like God is calling you to give so that this vision can come to pass. So uh, I want to walk you through this commitment card because it's an important part of the, the dynamic. So take that commitment card out. It's probably in an envelope right now because in two weeks, I'm praying that there will be 100% of us, unless you're visiting from out of town, <laughs> and then go be generous in your own church, but that you'd come back with a, a commitment ready to be made in, in terms of all for the one. And so this is what the commitment card looks like. Let me just give you an example of one. There's a guy uh, uh, named Clinton Keith, and Clinton Keith already turned in his commitment card. And so I'm going to just go ahead and show it to you. And so let's zero in on it. Clinton and Claire Keith, this is what they're doing. Uh, their normal annual giving is $15,000 because as a household, they earn $150,000 and they tithe. That means they give 10% of their income because they love the Lord and want to see his church thrive. And in this journey, they've been praying and they feel like God's prompting them, hey, give above and beyond that for these two years so that this, uh, this can happen. And so they're adding $10,000 a year. That means each year they're giving $25,000. And maybe for some of you, that sounds like, who in the world does that? A lot of people in Center Point Church do that because there's just uh, you know, a sense of desire to see the house of God thrive. But they also recognize that uh, there's probably going to need to be some uh, cash up front to really start this project. And so they're going to be selling some stocks and they're giving $10,000 up front. And so their total commitment is $60,000 for the year. That's pretty awesome. Aren't you grateful for Clinton Keith? Give it up for Clinton Keith. What a guy. What a family. Okay, if you're, if, you're, if you're visiting and you're not from around here, Clinton Keith is the name of a street. <laughs> Just, uh, I'm not exposing anybody's private you know, commitment, but I do want you to understand kind of what to do, that, that you would take your commitment card, and, and if you're married, talk to your spouse and make it a family decision. If you've got kids, sit your kids down and say, hey, what do you guys think? This might mean that maybe we're going to do a staycation because, yeah, <laughs> But do we care about it enough? I mean, talk about it as a family and, and pray together. Make it a moment where you deepen your discipleship. And you make it a moment where you say, this is about what I value, God. And I do value your house. And I want to see it thrive and flourish. And so if that means I'm going to put something uh, off on a personal way for a couple of years, then it's worth it to me to do that. But in the end, what I hope will happen is that each one of us will make a commitment that is something God has led us personally to make. And that there wouldn't be a sense of manipulation or compulsion. It would just be earnestly, I've been praying, and this is what I feel like God's prompting me to do. And if we all do that, there's no question. We will be able to accomplish what God's put in front of us to do. So this is the all for the one uh, generosity initiative, and I hope that you will pray together about it. Now, speaking of praying together, I want you to take out this card that was sitting on your seat. When you walked in, maybe you sat down on it and wondered, what is this for? It wasn't for notes. It's a prayer card. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I want you to pray for that one person who is the one that maybe you need to show the love of God to. And, and I want you to write their name down on this card. And that one might be somebody who 
you know, lives a few doors down from you. And you see them pull into their driveway, and you kind of do the nod thing a little bit, but you don't really know them. And maybe that needs to change. Maybe you ought to get to know that neighbor. Maybe they're the one that everything looks good on the surface, but maybe what you don't know is that deep down there's a, there's a real ache and a need for the love of God and, and for a connection, and you can be praying for that one. And maybe that one is uh, somebody who plays soccer with your kids, and they're just, you know, a few chairs up on the sidelines, but you felt something inside of you, like, man, maybe I should reach out to them. Maybe you should write their name down here. Maybe you're going, man, I don't really know anybody like that. I don't know anybody who needs Jesus. Maybe that should change, don't you think? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus and he constantly modeled, I'm out there looking for, <laughs> I'm seeking to save those who are lost. Maybe we need to join him in that posture. Maybe that one is just somebody who you buy your coffee from every couple days, you know? Write their name down. Maybe you'd go, well, there is this one, but I don't even know their name. Then write down that guy at the gas station. Maybe you know your next assignment is get to know their name. Wouldn't the world be better if even we just took that step? And maybe that's the one. And, and write it down. I want you to write their name down because I want you to pray for that one. And I want you to pray that God would use you to reach that one. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. After church today, I'm going to ask you to take that card and maybe fold it up and walk outside to this wall. And we've built a little prayer wall, kind of thinking about, you know, the wall in Jerusalem. And, uh, and I want you to just tuck it in between the crevices in that little section of the wall, and then maybe touch it and say, God, bring this vision to pass so that this one can have a place here. I want you to uh, get a picture of what I'm talking about doing so you'll be able to <laughs> make sense of it. Check this out. I was the one, and Jesus came after me and brought me home, and now I'm giving my all for the one that Jesus wants to bring home to Centerpoint Church. This weekend, we have all an opportunity to write down the name or names of people that we're praying that the Lord would bring here to Centerpoint Church. Your coworker, your family member, your friend, your neighbor, whoever it is that the Lord places on your heart, write their names on this piece of paper and bring it out to our very own prayer wall. This is the same wall that's going to get blown out and filled with chairs to house the one that the Lord's going to bring home. Fill out that piece of paper, place it right here in our prayer wall, and we will pray in Jesus' name that they all will be brought home to Centerpoint. Will you join me? So I hope you will. I hope we will be praying. And I hope we catch the heart of this. That Yeah, there's a practical aspect of, of, of physical expansion, and there's a practical uh, opportunity to give to see that happen. But at the spiritual level, it's a chance for all of us to come into alignment with really the, the heart of God to see his love made known to people and to, to really make sure that the main thing is the main thing, that that promise is the priority in our own lives and in the life of our church together. And, and so, you know, take a step, you know, take a step and let generosity be part of your discipleship. I mean, money is just one more life thing like any other. And so just as I would want to prompt you as a pastor to say, hey, if you haven't started praying, I want you to start praying. Or as a pastor, I want to say to you, hey, if you've never joined a small group, I want you to join a CP group in the same way. I, I can't ignore what the Bible is so straightforward about. Generosity. Take a step towards it. What I mean is, hey, if you've never given for the work of God in his church, maybe that's your next right step. Become a first-time giver. I mean, just do that. 
And for those of us who, we give once in a while. That's good, but maybe we can take a step beyond that and become an intentional giver. Where maybe we agree with our family members, hey, we're giving, and, and this is the amount we're going to give every week. And even when we go on vacation, we're going to get online and still give. That would be awesome. And for others of us, maybe you're already an intentional giver. Maybe it's time now to step up to being a percentage giver. And the biblical idea there is the idea of the tithe, where you recognize, Man, God's given me such a, a, a blessing in my life. I'm going to take the first 10% of what he's given me, and I'm going to test him with it, which is what his word invites us to do. And for others of us, maybe your next right step, because you've already done all of the above, is to become an extravagant giver. And, and to be the kind of giver that would break open an alabaster jar of perfume at the feet of Jesus, that kind of giving. I mean, I think if all of us take our next right step in generosity in this season, that we will be able to do everything that God's put ahead of us together to do. So the main thing, the promise is the priority. And this is what we read in the scriptures today. Let me remind you of it. In Acts 2.38, it says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And, and, and in a nutshell, I mean, even if you just stopped right there at the first part of that verse, each of us must repent of our sins and turn to God. I think that it's something that many of us would say, I've done that. And I've built my life on always living that way, repenting of my sins, turning to God. And, and for others of us, it could be the fact that you're here today and you don't know if you're right with God. This, this is how you get right with God. You repent of your sins. You just decide it's not as good as I thought it was. It isn't as damaging to me. And I'm going to turn from it. And I'm going to turn to God. And I'm going to believe him to forgive me. That there's forgiveness through Jesus. And there's a gift of the Holy Spirit to raise me up. This is the promise. And this is what all of us, if we're Christians, we, we build our lives on. We base our lives on. And for others of us, if this is all new for us, this is what you're invited into. And so I want you to pray with me right now, and let's pray together over this vision of all for the one and our response to it, and let's pray that God would do some spiritual awakening even right now. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for just what we read in the book of Acts today, God, about a, a community of believers that devoted themselves to the cause of Christ and the amazing things that took place because they did. And Lord, forgive us for where it's just, for maybe some of us it's been kind of an afterthought and Lord would you draw us into a place where uh, this vibrant life in Christ is our priority I pray God you would stir us up to be a church that has one heart and that the all here would be an all that's united and I pray father that you would stir up in each of us a desire to see the rescue of Jesus of the one take place again and again. And would you use us to that end, God? Even now, would you stir up in our minds to think about some people that we know that maybe it all looks fine on the outside, but maybe nevertheless, they need you. They need you, God. And maybe we are the ones that can reach out with the love and the hope and the goodness of Jesus. Would you show us who those ones are? And God, we together pray over this vision, Lord, that you would give us a united heart about it. And that you'd, I pray, God, you'd speak to each one of us about how we should respond. And I pray, Lord, you'd stir up radical generosity like we read about also in the book of Acts. And I pray, Father, that in the end, there would be a decade after decade of many, many people in this valley and this whole region coming to know Jesus because we did this thing. 